0: Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church. One church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. I wonder out here this morning, do I have any men or women, boys and girls out here that enjoys hunting? Anybody enjoy hunting? All right, quite a few of you, young and old alike. That's great. Men and women alike. That's awesome. As you probably well know, deer season is now officially over as we came to the end of January. About January 20th, I think, is when deer season was officially over here. And then, of course, turkey season is just a couple of months away, not far away. So you got to be ready and scouting and getting all that things together. But when you think about... Hunting deer and hunting turkey, I mean, there are all sorts of things that you can buy to help you bag a bird or to to harvest that big buck. And some of you wives are going, yeah, I know, trust me, I know there's a lot of things you can buy. Of course, there are all sorts of different guns that you could buy, but along with those guns are just a ton of different accessories, scopes, things like that. There are many, many different calling devices for both turkey and for deer, that can help you bring in that animal for harvest. But one of the most important things that a hunter needs, if he or she is going to increase their chances of success, is the ability to become invisible. The ability to become invisible, like these folks here. Let me know, can you spot the hunter here? Can you see the hunter up there? Look hard. He's hard to see, especially probably on the projection screen and you being as far as, away as you are with the light stuff. If you, you found him? Or if you didn't, here he is right there. You see him now? Isn't that amazing? He may still be hard for you to see that far away. How about this picture here? Can you see the hunter? Isn't that amazing? That's a guy who's turkey hunting there, right? So how do these turkeys... Or not these turkeys? <laughs> How do these hunters become invisible? Some think they are turkeys, right? How do these hunters become invisible? Well, the answer is they wear camouflage, right? Something like this right here. They put this on, and uh, and this is my uh, this is my winter hunting wear. Um, I was telling somebody earlier, I, I use it more for sledding and snow than I do hunting. All right. But nevertheless, you can see that camouflage there. And you can see how when you get in there, like that guy on the screen just a moment ago, you would blend in. And that's what you want to do. You want to become invisible, kind of blend in to the surroundings around you. All right. It gives the hunter the ability to become virtually invisible. And you know what? That's sometimes how you and I want to live in life, isn't it? We want to just blend in, we want to not stand out. We want to become invisible. And so what do we do in our, our, our individual lives and also in the church? Oftentimes we'll put on our metaphorical camouflage and we will hide in plain sight. But beloved, I need you to understand this morning that that is not God's plan for the local church or even for the individual Christian, right? God does not want us to blend in. God does not want us to just act like our surroundings around us, right? He wants us to stand out. He doesn't want to be the same. He doesn't want us to be the same. He wants us to be different. He doesn't want us to be the thermometer in the room. He wants us to be the thermostat. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't want us in camouflage. God wants us in blaze orange. He wants us to stand out that people might glorify in him, that God might or that the community might see our good deeds And glorify our God who is in heaven. God desires for the church to boldly stand out in our world and in our community. Now if you were here last week, you might be saying, wait a minute Ben. Now just last week, didn't you say that we are to become more like the culture that we're trying to reach? And I would say, yes I did, you listened well. That's called contextualization, right? We're to take on aspects of the culture that we can take on righteously so that we might reach more people for Jesus. But there's a balance to that. There's a balance to contextualization, and that is this idea of being counter cultural. We must never lose sight of being counter cultural. In some instances, y'all, we are to be culture receptive. Take it on, it's okay. It's neutral or it's good. It's not bad whatsoever. But then there are things in our culture that we must be culture-rejective. Culture-rejective. There are indeed ways that God desires for us to blend in with the culture around us, but there are also ways that God desires for us to stand out like a cardinal on a snowy day. Now, just on Friday, we had a big snow day, right? I mean, big for Bowling Green. We had a big snow day, and when I walked out that morning... And began to mill around and and drive around and all those things. You know what? I saw more cardinals on Friday than I've ever seen, it seemed like. Definitely more than I've seen in the last month. Definitely more than it seems like in the last six months even, right? It was like cardinals were everywhere. Now, were there more cardinals out? Or did they simply stand out because that red feather against that white backdrop made them unmistakable? I think it was that second thing right there. Red feathers made them stand out, made them stand out. And in some ways, that's exactly what God desires for us to be. God explicitly tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. You're going to see it here very clearly and explicitly. The calling on our lives to be counter-cultural. Verse 14 begins, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we see here in your text, God, that we are called to be different from the twisted and the perverse generation that is around us. That we're to be lights, God, that stand out, that are blaze orange and do not blend in with our surroundings, God. So I pray that you would just help us even today, God, to learn how to do that and what that means and how are we to take last week and this week and how are we to put them together, Lord? I pray you would teach us from your word today. I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. God, if there's someone here this morning who has never turned and trusted Christ, I pray today would be the day that they would hear the truth that they are a sinner just like I am. And that Jesus died to save them just like he did me. And that if they will turn and trust in Christ, they will be saved just like I was. Father, just move in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. So did you catch the countercultural call in our text there? You and I are to shine like lights in the world. But if you'll notice here, there in, in, in verse Uh, In in verse 15, the world is crooked and twisted. (laughs) You and I are to live blameless and innocent as children of God. And when we do that, we stand out in stark contrast against that dark backdrop that is the world. Here's today's takeaway. We are not to blend in, y'all. Here's what we're to do. We are to shine brightly as Christians and as a church. Living in stark contrast to the dark world around us. Let me say that again. Shine brightly as Christians and as a church living in a stark contrast to the dark world around us. So how are we to do that? And our text here is going to help us. First, if we're going to shine brightly in contrast to the dark world around us, we've got to be countercultural in how we think. That's the first step. you've got to be countercultural in how you think, you see, as a church, all throughout the word of God. It says that you and I, as the church, are to be a repentant people. Jesus himself uses that word 16 times, right? Fifty-six times it's used in the New Testament. But Jesus used it 16 times in instances like this. Matthew 4:17 says, "From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or Mark 1 15. Mark 1 15, just a quick overview here. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you see, twice already Jesus has called you and me to repent. Luke 5 32. Luke 5 32, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous. But sinners to what, church? Repentance, right? And then Luke 13, 5. Luke 13, 5. Jesus says, no, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Over and over again, you and I are called to be repentant people to repent and believe repent and believe repent and believe the people of God are to be a repentant people and behind that English word repent is the Greek word metanoia that's in the verb form or, or in the noun form metanoia and that Greek word literally means to have a change of mind that's what it means To have a change of mind, it means to think differently than how you previously thought. It means to stop thinking like the world and start thinking like God. That's what that means. And when we do that, we will begin to shine brightly in stark contrast to the dark world around us. You see, the Bible says that those who are in the world and are not in Christ, that their minds have been darkened. That's what Romans 1 says, that their minds have been darkened. And so when we come and we begin to think like, God's, like God thinks, then we begin to shine brightly, right? And this is more than just an outward change. Yeah, we're to be different, but, but this is not just an outward change. It, it, it's, it's an inward change. It goes to your innermost being. All the way to your very core, your mind. God, through Paul, reveals to us the centrality of the mind in Romans twelve two. Notice the centrality of the mind. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what, church? Your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, if we are going to be transformed so that we shine brightly, we got to have our minds renewed. And so you may be asking, well, okay, how do I get that? How do I get my mind renewed? Renewed. First, you need to understand that it takes a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Guys, this is grace. This is even sovereign grace, right? This is God moving in grace toward us, even when we didn't even know we needed grace. The only other place in the New Testament where the word renewal is found is in Titus 3, 5. So we see it in... In Romans 12, too, you see that word renew will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the other place that we see it in the New Testament is in Titus 3, 5. But I want to read the whole context for you. So Titus 3, 4 through 7. Titus 3, 4 through 7 to give you some context here. Here's what the Word of God says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Listen to this. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So did you see it there in verse 5? We are regenerated and we are renewed by the Holy Spirit who washes us. And we see in Romans 2, it's the renewal, it's the washing of our mind, our dirty mind, our fleshly mind, our worldly mind. That sinful mind must be washed, it must be renewed by the Holy Spirit. And it begins by being born again, but then continues in ongoing renewal, ongoing washing. You will be renewed until the day you die or Jesus comes back. Amen. You ain't perfect yet. <laughs> now you're perfect in God's sight because of Christ's blood. But on earth you are a work in, project, uh, in progress. You'll be a project until the day you die. So you'll constantly be washed, renewed. You'll challenge the way you think constantly. But secondly, not only is it work of the Holy Spirit, but secondly it takes intentional filling of our minds with truth on our part. This is not just a let go and let God thing. Yeah, God is sovereignly, graciously moving, but we have to intentionally fill our minds with truth. As it says in Philippians 4, 8, what what a perfect passage. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, just like with your body. If you want to be a healthy body, if you want to have a renewed body, if you want to fulfill your, 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 your New Year's resolutions, you've got to fill your body with healthy things, good things. Things that are going to give you nourishment and, and, and build it up. Same thing with your mind. If you want to have a renewed mind, you need to fill your mind with good things. And ultimately, where do we find these good things? The only place to be sure. There are lots of places that you can search for truth. But the only place that you can know for sure that truth is, is found in the Word of God. Because this is the only inspired book on the planet. This is the only book that is the very Word of God. And it'll tell you exactly what is true, what is honorable, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. So if you want to have a renewed mind, you got to fill your mind with Scripture. I wonder this morning, if in your life right now, there's some distance between you and God, there's some distance between the way that you think and maybe the way that the general church thinks, the church just sort of in general. If there's distance between that, I wonder if it's because you are not filling your mind with the Word of God, you're filling your mind with worldly philosophy or worldly religion or man's opinions or even your own opinions. Beloved, if you want to have a renewed mind, you've got to fill it with the Word of God. And then, and then you'll see how God does all that. You'll begin to see how God sees. You'll begin to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And then you'll begin to see your life Truly transformed. I say to you this morning, do you want to have your life transformed? <laughs> do you want to shine brightly in a dark world? Then pray to the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, cleanse my mind, renew my mind, but then also begin to fill your mind with the Word of God. And when you do, He will begin to shine brightly, guys. And we see this in the outworking of the church today. As we live and believe counterculturally to the world around us. When you think about the biggest worldviews, the biggest movements, the thought movements that we see around us right now in our day. There's a reason why we stand against the killing of children in the womb. There's a reason why we oppose the normalizing of sexual immorality. There's a reason why we resist the confusion of gender in our day and age. There's a reason why we stand up for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the immigrant in our land. There's a reason why we hate racism. There's a reason why we oppose greed and bully tactics. There's a reason why we support freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion in our land, and the reason is, is that God has renewed our minds, and we have learned, based upon the Word of God, what is true, and what is lovely, and what is pure, and what is praiseworthy. And as we learn to think like God, like God thinks, we will shine brightly in stark contrast to the dark world around us. That's the first thing you got to be countercultural in the way that you think. But secondly, be countercultural. In what you proclaim. Be countercultural in what you proclaim. Now, as you think about the church, we have one central proclamation. And that's what? The gospel. Everybody say the gospel. That, That is our one central proclamation. God gave us one commission, didn't he? Go preach the gospel. He says it this way in Mark 16, verse 15. And Jesus said to them and to us, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. <laughs> Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Our central proclamation is the gospel of Jesus Christ with both its bad news and its good news. You see, society proclaims that we are good in and of ourselves. Isn't that right? Aren't we living still in the wake Of the self-esteem movement, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. (laughs) Right? You remember that? But the Bible says, guys, that we are not good in and of ourselves. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every man, woman, boy, and girl. That's Ben Simpson. Romans 3.10 says, As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. Ben Simpson, in and of himself, is not righteous. None of us are. And then there's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, that just shares a biblical worldview. How are we supposed to see humanity in and of themselves? And it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You guys want to be countercultural? Go tell somebody that in 2020. (laughs) Go tell somebody that in 2020. Yet that's exactly what God says we're supposed to proclaim, isn't it? That's exactly what he says we're to proclaim, but we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We're not the guy yelling as people go down the road that they're going to hell. That's part of the gospel that hell is real and hell is where we will be uh, where we will end up if we don't turn and trust in Christ. but we don't stop there. We follow the bad news up with the good news of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 151 through4. Explicitly tells us the good news portion of the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. Here's the good news portion of the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news. That's the answer to the bad news. Now, you might be saying now, preacher, that's news, but I I don't know if it's good news. Guys, the good news is found. In the very fact that if you will repent, as we just talked about a moment ago, change that mind. If you will change your mind, if you will turn from sin and trust in the work of Jesus, you will be saved, and that makes the news of Jesus good news for you. John three sixteen says it in a very explicit way. That's why it's become one of the key texts that we as Christians keep at the forefront of our lives. It says, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life." That's the hope that you have in Jesus, and I need to—I need you to understand that that is countercultural on so many levels. Because notice that that salvation is found only in Christ. Right? Whoever believes in. Him, whoever believes in Christ. Now the world will say, either they'll say, we don't need salvation. Or they'll say, yeah, we need salvation, but there are many ways to be saved. <laughs> but God's word is clear, isn't it? Whosoever believes in him, or maybe you needed to say this, John fourteen six, Where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, right? In other words, there's no, there's no other name under heaven and earth that we can be saved. There are no other ways. Yes, there are other paths, but none of the other paths lead to God except Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior, and yet to proclaim that people are sinners, that Jesus is the Savior, and that Jesus is the only Savior, guys, that is incredibly counter In fact to many maybe even in this room that's downright offensive and you and i as we've been trained in this pc culture this politically correct culture we don't want to offend anybody right in this church growth culture We want to do everything we can to gather the largest crowd that we can. And so, what are we tempted to do with both of those things? We are tempted to water down the gospel and say things like, Come to Jesus, he'll make your life better. Now, is that true? It's true. If you will come to Jesus, he will indeed make your life better. (laughs) But what it misses out on and downplays is the reality of sin in my life and in your life. It downplays the threat, the gracious threat of hell. It downplays repentance and it downplays the exclusivity of Jesus. All those things. Until the gospel is so watered down that it's no longer the gospel. You ever got a drink that's so watered down that it doesn't even taste like it's supposed to taste? Just the other day, we were at McDonald's. <laughs> and one of the kids went up and gotten some lemonade, they said, and mixed it with water. Well, the truth of the matter is, they got some water and mixed a little bit of lemonade in it. But when the person went to drink it, this isn't lemonade. This is so watered down, it's nasty. And guys, that's what happens. That's what happens when we water it down. We think that we're going to attract people. We think that we're going to draw a crowd, guys. But the truth of the matter is, is that churches that water down the gospel, listen to this clearly. Churches that water down the gospel are throwing water on their light. If we're to shine in the midst of darkness like lights in this world, when you water down the gospel, you're throwing water on your light. And guess what happens to your light? It's extinguished. And we see that today. You look at churches who are downplaying the gospel, who are not preaching the truth and the whole truth of the bad news and the good news. You see that their light is being extinguished. In fact you go to revelation chapter 2 and chapter one, 1 chapters 1 and 2 you actually see that god says i won't put up with it i will remove your lampstand you think that light in the middle is you i will not allow that to stand i will take it from you guys that's what happens when we water down the gospel but look at what god calls us here in philippians 2:16 look at 2:16 he calls us to hold fast to the word of life. (laughs) Hold fast to the word of life. That is not the Bible he's talking about here, although the Bible is the word of life in one sense. He's talking about the gospel, the word of eternal life, how you and I can be born into life everlasting so that in the day, he says, of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Guys, the word of Christ here, the word of life, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we got to hold fast to that. No matter the cost, no matter the cost, no matter the countercultural cost, no matter what the cost may be, we got to stand with Paul, who proclaimed in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Here's the reason why, he says. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, church. And when we do that, when we stand strong, when we stand proud, unashamed of the gospel, when we do that, we will shine brightly in contrast to this dark world around us. Third, if we're going to shine brightly, You gotta be countercultural, not in just how you think or what you proclaim, but you need to be countercultural in how you act. (laughs) You gotta be countercultural in how you act. Yeah, we're supposed to embrace the culture where we righteously can, but we are supposed to act differently in places that we shouldn't, right? God calls us out of the world, He calls us to be different from the world. And one of the most powerful passages on this truth is found in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Listen to what God has called you and me to be, and we're to live and act in this calling. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Notice that, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, many of us have probably learned this verse actually in King James language, which says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. And then this word right here, a peculiar people. A peculiar. People, I like that word, peculiar. When I hear the word peculiar, I think of the word weird. <laughs> I wonder this morning, Eastwood, are you okay with being a little bit weird? <laughs> are you okay with being a little bit weird in the eyes of the world for God? John Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says about God's calling to act different this way. He says this, he says, no comment could be more hurtful to the Christian than the words. But you are no different from anybody else. For the essential theme of the whole Bible from beginning to the end is that God's historical purpose is to call out a people for himself. That this people is a holy people set apart from the world to belong to him and obey to him. And that its vocation is to be true to its identity. That is to be holy or to be different in all its outlook and behavior guys we are to be a peculiar people different people shining brightly in against the backdrop of this dark world in our text here philippians 2 here in verse 14 we see that one of the ways that we do this is do all things without grumbling Or complaining. Can I get an amen? Right? (laughs) What a calling, right? Just think for a moment, though, about how much grumbling and complaining goes on in the world. And how much grumbling and complaining goes on right here. I got to get me in the circle. Goes on right here. Think about how brightly you and I would stand out if we would refuse to grumble and complain people would be like, man, that girl's weird. (laughs) No, actually what they would be like, they would be like, man, that girl is refreshing. That dude is refreshing. She's so positive. He's so encouraging. She's so edifying. And guys, that's what we're to aim for. That's what we're to aim for. And in doing so, we become like Jesus, don't we? When you no longer grumble and complain, we become like Jesus who says in Isaiah 53, verse 7, he's described in this way, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. If he did not grumble and complain on the way to the cross and on the cross, surely on Monday morning, You can hush your mouth. Surely on Tuesday, I can hush my mouth. Surely on Wednesday, we just go on through the week, right? If Christ could have hushed his mouth in the most egregious, awful moment in the history past and history future, then surely you and I can. And if we will, guys, we'll shine brightly like Jesus. But it's not just the words that we use. It's the totality of our lives. God says in 1 Peter, verse 1, 16, you shall be holy as I am holy. He doesn't just say that your words would be holy. He says you are to be holy. And when we are holy, guys, we cannot help but live in stark contrast to the darkness around us. That's why God is instructing us in holy living when he's doing that. As he's instructing us in holy living, he commands us in Ephesians five eleven, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose on them. So beloved, you not need to understand this: take no part, he says, in the unfruitful works of darkness. You not need to understand. To borrow an old cliche, it's impossible to run with the devil and walk with Jesus. We have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Jesus and the devil are going two different directions at two different speeds. The devil is sprinting to hell. And Jesus is walking triumphantly to heaven. I wonder this morning, as I look around the room, is there any sinful action in your life? That somebody could come to you and say, you're no different from the world. You're a hypocrite. You say this, but you live like this. And guys, I understand we all fall short. But I wonder this morning, is there something in your life right now that you would say, I know that God loves me, but he hates this in me. Do you have that thing? Holy Spirit, would you speak to the people even now and tell them and show them, show me where that place is, what that action is. And this morning, church, I believe that God is calling you to become countercultural in how you act. God is calling you to be holy, to be set apart, to be devoted completely to righteousness. And here's the good news, as we've talked about, is that whatever that thing is, God will receive you, he will cleanse you, and he will forgive you. Amen? And then you can walk in the light and shine brightly against the black, the dark backdrop of this world. And finally, this morning, if you and I are going to shine brightly, then then you must be countercultural in how you love. In how you love. Jesus says something very impactful. In John 13, 35, he says this, he says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. (laughs) You know what that means? That means that love is our ID card. Right? That means that love is our ID card. How do people, how do I prove that I am Ben Simpson when I go into a bank or when I go into wherever? Well, I pull out my ID card, right? I pull out my driver's license, my picture, my date of birth, my social security card, or pull out my passport. That's how I prove that I'm Ben Simpson. Well, the, the same is true for the Christian. How do I prove that I'm a Christian? What is the evidence of my Christianity? I pull out my love card. I pull out my love card. Love is the single most brightest characteristics that you and I can have. Right? Because God is love and has shown love. And therefore, you and I are to embody love to each other and to the world. Now, this love isn't how the world defines love, right? We're talking about biblical love here, biblical love. The world says, love is this, that you affirm me and you celebrate in me whatever makes me happy. And that is not biblical love love. That's not biblical love. I mean, again, my five-year-old may think it's the best thing in the world to go out and play in the center of I-65. He may think that that makes him the most happy he could ever be in his life, but it would be unloving for me to allow that to happen and not say a word, right? That You would say, you don't love that boy. You must hate him to let him continue to do that. So biblical love is not affirming and celebrating whatever a person says makes them happy. Biblical love is this, 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And so God's biblical love cannot celebrate, cannot affirm that which is sinful. But the question is, then how are we to love them if we can't love that part? Let me say this to you, and this is very important as you take notes this morning. Because we are called to love every single person on this planet. Love is our ID card. In fact, if you've been around Eastwood long enough, you know that that our measures, S-A-M-U-E-L, that sixth measure is love. Am I known by what, church? Love. So here's how you do it. Here's how you love those who are living in wrongdoing. First, that we affirm their humanity and their dignity. They are created in the image of God. They are human beings, just like you and I are human beings. And they're not just human beings. They are full of dignity because God created them and made them in his image. But secondly, we celebrate their value and their good contribution to society. I have yet to meet a person that did not have at least one good thing that they have brought into this world. And for many folks, even those that we would say they're they're, they're living in sin, they have many good things, many good things that they contribute to this world. And we can affirm them and celebrate that all day long. Third, how do we do this? We treat them with the kindness that we want to be treated with. That's what we do. We treat them, that's the golden rule, treat them how we want to be treated. We invite them to lunch. We have them over to our house. We go to things with them. That's how you do that. But fourth, and this is important, fourth, we lovingly as possible invite them to repent of their sin and follow Jesus. And then when they do that, They can join along with those who are in Christ, who shine brightly in contrast to our dark world. So Eastwood, I'm calling you this morning to be countercultural. Show love, not as the world shows love, but as the Bible says we're to show love. You're to to be countercultural in how you act. You're to be countercultural in how you proclaim. You're to be countercultural in how you think. But what's it going to take for us to live this out? I'm going to close with this quote. It's going to take three things from every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. It's going to take three things. One, I'll just read the quote actually here. This is from Dan Darling, the, v, the Vice President of Communications for the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. Here, here's, here's his answer to the question. What will it take to live this out that I've talked about this morning? Here's what it's going to take. He says, we need Christians who are courageous, clear, and civil. (laughs) Courageous, clear, and civil. Courage without civility is cheap rhetoric that convinces nobody and reflects poorly on the gospel. Courage without clarity quickly crumbles under any serious questioning. And clarity and civility without courage becomes capitulation. Godly, wise, humble Christians need all three. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. Eastwood, here's my final prayer this morning. May we be different as God has called us to be different so that the light of Christ in us will shine forth in us like the sun. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I wanna say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what He has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow Him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.